Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. We're going to to, um, continue in a second with uh, a talk about change and challenge, but I wanted to mention something we're going to do in two weeks' time. I'm going to start a new series called, um, here it comes, A Life of Try. And what we're going to be doing over that series is looking at how God's kingdom extends as we try stuff with him, as we venture out uh, into that kind of unknown. Uh, A guy called Jordan Seng, who runs a church in Hawaii, says this. He says, the gap between action and inaction is often where we win or lose the battle for kingdom purpose in our lives. And what he's saying by that is, you know, when we choose to do something or not choose to do it, that's the battleground. You know, that, that choice that we make, do we step out with God into something or do we stay here? That's where the battle is won or lost in terms of kingdom extension and seeing God's plans and purposes unfold. So, so we'll be spending a few weeks looking at that uh, with a life of try. So hopefully you're up for that, yeah? Yep. Up for trying some new things and maybe thinking about where God might want to extend his kingdom in your life and in the life of the church. Next week, Julian will be doing the talk that he was due to do when the flood came. So that's the last of the Miracle Maker series that he was due to give on that, on that Sunday. So he'll be doing that next week, and then we'll move into a life of try. But today I want to talk about the opportunities that change and challenge bring to us. It gives us a chance to rethink and reevaluate. I think many of us are doing that. Even just meeting in a different space in a different way is causing a kind of a fresh move of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to begin by looking at a passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. So I'll put that on the screen for you. Now, I've been told this font's a bit small, so I will make it bigger next week. On my laptop, this font is huge, but on the screen, it's not so big. So I'll make it bigger if you're struggling at the back just to see that. And to what Paul writes, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, you are God's field and God's building." Now, I picked this passage because it has water making things grow. I thought it would be really pertinent to our current situation. That's exactly what I got from the first service. We got flooded, remember? Okay, good. Great. Okay, so water, growth. No, I'm joking. What I want to look at is is Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. This is a church that he planted. And uh, as he's gone away from the church, issues have arisen in the church. Divisions are emerging because people have started looking to align themselves to different people. So some are following Paul, they say. Some are following Apollos. If you read the letter, in the first chapter, there's a guy mentioned called Cephas. So people are aligning themselves to different people in the life of the church. Why do divisions happen in the church? Any ideas? Yes, because it's full of people. Whenever you put people together, what do you get? Different opinions, different viewpoints, different preferences. You get divisions springing up in the life. Whenever you gather people together, 
We all have different views and opinions. If I did a poll this morning, I could ask you 10 questions and get many different opinions on those 10 questions. And so wherever people are present, there's potential for division. So Paul's writing into this situation, and he he talks about this guy called Apollos. Let's find out who Apollos is. Well, Apollos is mentioned in Acts uh, 18. And Apollos is a Jew. He's a native of Alexandria, and he came to Ephesus, it says, in Acts He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Apollos was a Jew just like Paul, and Apollos knew the Torah and the Old Testament scriptures just like Paul. And then, just like Paul, he started to follow Jesus. It says that he knew enough about Jesus to teach about Jesus accurately. And I think that's something we we could all aspire to, isn't it? Do you know enough about Jesus to tell other people about Jesus accurately? It's a great goal to have. You don't know a lot. You just need to know enough to be able to talk about Jesus accurately to somebody else. And that's what Apollos could do. It seems he'd been baptized in water as John instructed, but it seems like he wasn't familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they get alongside him, they invite him into their home, and basically it says that they, they explain to him, to God, more accurately, which is quite a dry way, I think, of saying they probably introduced him to the Holy Spirit. Invited him to their home, talked about Jesus, and prayed for him to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think many people today maybe have encountered God at some level but are still waiting for that infilling of the spirit Nicky Gumbel on the alpha videos he says it's a bit like your your gas boiler at home it's always got a pilot light on in the olden days there was a little window you could peer inside and see I think I've taken those away but there's a, a little pilot light inside and when you turn the hot water on the boiler goes Woof, and the gas fires and you have your hot water and Nicky says on the alpha video he says, some Christians are like people with pilot lights on And what God wants to do is to bring that kind of whoomph of the Holy Spirit. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they they hear about Apollos, they invite him into their home, they talk to him about Jesus, and they pray for an infilling of the Spirit. Now I think if the church only did that, I think we'd see kingdom transformation, wouldn't we? If we just invited people into our homes, talked to them about Jesus, and prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill them, I think that would be enough to bring about a significant transformation in our communities. It's a great aspiration to have. Just think about doing that. Inviting people into your home, talking about Jesus, and praying for the Spirit to come. So Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila, they pray for him. He seems he's filled with the Spirit, and then he goes off to meet Jesus. Sorry, to meet Paul in uh, Corinth. And they, they basically go there, And they work together and they spread the gospel and the gospel extends and a church is planted because of that. And then Paul goes to Ephesus, continuing on his missionary journeys. And while he's there, he hears about these divisions that are springing up in the life of the church. And in fact, you read the letter 1 Corinthians, it's full of things that Paul writes into about the church. Now, I think this title 1 Corinthians is very unhelpful. Because if you're new to the Bible, what on earth does 1 Corinthians mean? Well, it means it's the first letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he planted in Corinth. That would be a much snappier title, wouldn't it? Yeah? 
at least explain what the letter is rather than saying 1 Corinthians. And often we come to our Bibles and we see these titles and they are confusing. But this is simply the first letter that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth trying to deal with some issues that had risen up while he was absent. Now I was reflecting, now the Apostle Paul goes away and divisions spring up and Kitty and I go away to our son's wedding and water springs up. So, you know, stuff happens. Stuff happens in church. The first thing Paul wants to mention and draw the Corinthians back to is that Apollos, Paul, Cephas, they're all just people. They're all just what he describes as mere human beings. Let's just move off that slide a second. Mere human beings. He says that, Paul, I can plant a seed. Apollos can water the seed. But only God can bring growth. Only God can make it grow. What Paul is describing here is what every farmer knows. A farmer can cultivate the soil. A farmer can get seed and plant seed. But actually, only God can bring about the growth. No matter what the farmer does, he can't make things grow. And Paul says that the planter and the water have vital roles, but it's God who brings about the growth. God who brings about the change. And Paul is describing this unique partnership that exists between you and I and God in extending the kingdom. God invites us into this partnership. He invites us into this story. Now, if you're a person with a more technical kind of background or bias, my background's engineering, so I tend to be maybe a bit more technically minded, you might think that if we just organise the church better, it'll grow. Just get better systems, better programmes, get more organised, get more professional. If we just put those things in place, then the church will inevitably grow. Okay, so that's one opinion. If you're more of a spiritual bias... You might think, actually, what we need to do is get rid of the programs, get rid of the plans, get rid of that, just basically just turn up, respond to the Spirit, be a bit more easy, a bit more easy flowing. What's God saying? Let's be more spontaneous. And if we just do that, the church will grow. So you sit here this morning, are you more technically minded or are you more spiritually minded? So who's more technically minded? Who's more spiritually minded? Which one's right? Both. There's a, there's a synthesis. There's a synthesis that's required. So often what church does, if you look at the way churches organize themselves across the globe, they'll tend to retreat either to the technical side, get much more organized, much more program-driven, much more professional, or they'll retreat to the spiritual side and get much more exotic uh, in terms of the way they, they do things. Because we're looking for a solution. We're looking for a kingdom answer. But actually what Paul says, and part of the problem with this is that spiritualists tend to, sorry, not, yes, people who are very spiritual look down on people who are technical. They think, you know, how can you have this kind of rational, can-do mentality? And the people on the technical side, they look at the spiritual people and think, you're just completely disorganized. You just know, have no earthly good. You're so up there in the clouds. You know, it, I just I can't get on with you. And you have these divisions that arise in the life of the church. But what Paul says is very interesting in the last part of this section we're looking at today. He says, we're God's co-workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. And Paul brings together these agricultural and architectural metaphors to describe you and I as we follow Jesus. You are a field and you are a building. You're both these things. You're, a, you're agricultural and you're technical. 
your organic and your structural. And so, as we think about this this morning, the church doesn't need to retreat to one or the other or look down on one or the other. Actually, the church is called to be a synthesis. We're called to be a synthesis of both these things. Let's unpack these statements. Let's begin with this first thing. Notice that Paul uses the word God three times here. He says you are you're in God's service, you're God's field, you're God's building. He's using that word over and over again to try and lift the Corinthians' eyes from themselves back up to God. Because they've started to focus on each other, they've started to follow each other, they've started to divide over preferences for each other, and Paul says, actually, no, it's about God. It's God's idea, it's God's story, it's God's plan, it's God's church, you're in God's service. Pick your eyes back up from each other and look back to God. And that's often the best way to deal with division. Best way, because you and I will always be diverse. Yeah? We're not called to be little gingerbread Christians cut out through the same mold, are we? Are we? (laughs) We're all different and unique. Fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible tells us. So we're all different. We're all unique. We've all got our own story. We've all got our own character. We've all got our own gifts and talents. But what God says is in that diversity should come unity. In our diversity should be unity, not division. And so Paul says we're God's field, we're God's building, and God, we're God's co-workers. We're called to co-labor with him. And this is a wonderful word in the Greek. It literally means to get down and dirty with your sleeves rolled up right next to God. Okay? When's the last time you did something that required some co-laboring? When's the last time you did a job or a task that you couldn't do on your own? Have a think for a moment. Maybe you were trying to move something. Maybe you are trying to carry something. Maybe you are trying to relocate something. Maybe you were putting something up, taking something down. When's the last time you did a job that you couldn't do on your own? This big TV has come from our insurers to help us continue our, series, our services. Anybody fancy putting that up on their own? No. So I had to do that. I had to put that up on the wall with Martin. That was a, definitely a co-labouring job. This week I had a really fun co-labouring job. Jake bought some new bean bags for the youth. Now, some bright person thought it'd be a great idea to ship bean bags in two parts: the bag and the beans. <laughs> so I think it was Wednesday afternoon. I had this, Jake come around and said, "Can you come and give me a bit of hand?" I said, "What's, what's going on?" I said, "Well, I've tried to fill a bean bag and it's not gone well." So. So went round and, yeah, you can imagine. Uh, but, but then we, we nailed it. One opens the bag, one holds the bag, and the other person gingerly pours an entire bag of beans, little tiny polystyrene beads, into the bag. Definitely a job you need to co-labor on if you don't want to create a winter wonderland in your office. So when's the last time you co-labored on a job? You know, you, you needed someone's help to come and work alongside you to get the job done. And that's what Paul's describing here. He says, God... And you are called to co-labor together. You work closely together to bring about the kingdom. And it's not just God's job, and it's not just your job. You co-labor together. And what Paul says to the Corinthians here and says to us is God's not remote. God's not a distant manager just putting down edicts. He's right there next to you in the midst of whatever you're facing. He's co-laboring right next to you with his God sleeves rolled up, working right alongside you in the most intimate and connected way so we're we're co-workers with God and then Paul says you're God's field ever thought of yourself as a field 
Nope. Okay. Maybe the word garden's more helpful because that's what the word can also be translated. You are God's garden. Now think about it for a moment. What sort of garden would you be if you could be a garden? Maybe you love formal gardens like stately homes. Maybe you love wild gardens. Maybe you love cottage gardens, rose gardens. Just think about all the beautiful types of garden there are. And that's how God describes you. He says, you are a garden. And you're a garden that I love to tend and cultivate. And what I love about this metaphor is it just talks so much about growth and change and cultivation. And what Paul does by describing this way, he moves from the work that we do out there with God together, co-laboring, to the work that God does in us. So as we co-labor with God, as we work with God together, at the same time, he's working in your heart to cultivate you, to make you more like his son. So one thing you need to understand, if you're following Jesus, you are always the project. You are always the project. Regardless of what else is going on in your life, what else is happening in the life of the church, you are always the project. So you might have had a really tough time during COVID, during lockdown. You know, over the last year, it might have been really hard for you. I guarantee that God has been working in the garden of your heart to do things, to make you more like his son. Who likes gardening? Anyone like gardening? Yes. We've got a reasonable-sized garden, which we had when we first moved into our house six years ago, and it was a bit of a mess. And I've been working on the garden over the past six years, and I've been taking things out and putting things in and planting and removing and changing and cutting down trees and... And it's basically getting to where I think it, it should be. And I just love going out in the garden for five minutes, a bit of weeding, a bit of planting, a bit of pruning. It's just a place you can be always, always fettling. Nice northern word for you. Um, you know, always having a little bit of poodle around in the garden, just seeing what's happening, different seasons, different things grow up, and different things die back. And it's that beautiful continuum of cultivation and growth that happens in any garden. And that's a beautiful picture of your heart and your soul. God is continually working in the garden of your heart through the seasons. Sometimes I think as Christians we get this idea that we're, you know, our hearts, God just layers on information. That's what Christianity is about. You know, learn the next thing, learn the next thing, learn the next thing and kind of build this kind of pyramid of knowledge. And the more knowledge you have, you know, the more godly you are. That's rubbish, okay? What actually God does is he comes and cultivates our souls. And so you might have a greenhouse base in the garden of your heart that's been there 20 years, okay? And God says, this year is the day, year we take that out, we put something else in. Well, we put a tree in 10 years ago, we're going to move that, we're going to put that over there, we're going to put something else in. It's not about layering up, and sometimes Christians get confused. I've been a Christian 30 years, and suddenly God wants to do this in me, or God revealed this to me, and they feel like, did I miss something, or have I failed, or have I not, have I not sort of been discipled properly? no. What it's to do with is the garden of your heart is continually being cultivated by God. All with the sole purpose of the Spirit making you more and more like Jesus. So don't be surprised. You know, if God does something significant in your life this year or next year or the year after. Or your understanding of a topic changes or moves. Because we're not called to dogma. We're called to, we're called to be gardens that God cultivates and changes. You see, following Jesus is never static, is it? I think Christians are sometimes thought, you know, just be convinced by a set of rules or a set of beliefs, and then that's it. You are a Christian, full stop, job done, ticked, get on with the rest of your life. But actually, we're not called to a museum. 
We're not called to a mausoleum. We're not called to serve a God who is static. We're called to follow Jesus Christ in the power of his spirit. And so that cultivation is always happening in the life of every believer. John Wimber, who pioneered the vineyard movement many years ago, he said this just before he died. He said, take the best and go. And what he meant by that was, yes, certainly build on what's gone before, but there's more to come. There's more to come as God leads us by his spirit. And that's why movements are called movements. <laughs> Not because they're statics, because they're movements and we move with God. There's been many movements throughout history in the life of the church as God has moved the church forward. So you and I and the whole church are constantly being cultivated by God. Just have a think about it for a moment. Just think about God working in the garden of your heart all the time. Jesus described the Father as someone who comes and prunes and tends to make us more fruitful. And that's what the Father does. When you start to journey with Jesus, the Father is committed to the garden of your heart. And my garden and your garden are not going to look the same. There isn't like a blueprint that God is making us all the same. God, God works with our personalities and our uniqueness to bring about the likeness of Jesus in us. Amen? So that's happening in, the, in, the, in your life and in my life. We're God's co-workers, we're God's field, and we're also God's building. How can we be a field and a building at the same time? We work really hard, don't we, at trying to say to people, the church isn't the building, the church is the people. Yeah, it's that many times. You know, we, don't, we don't go to church, we are church. Paul goes on stage further and he says, the people are actually the building. The people are the building. What does Paul describe us this way? Well, I think it's got to do with something called habitation, where God dwells, where God dwells. In Jesus' time, the Jewish people would go to the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was seen as the place where God dwelt. The temple was the place they believed that heaven met earth, where heaven and earth overlapped because God was present at the temple. So you went to the temple. You weren't just going to a physical location. You were going to the place where God was. You were going to the place where heaven and earth overlapped. You went with expectation because that's where God's address was. That's where God dwelt. Then Jesus had this wonderful conversation with a Samaritan woman in John 4. He said that time's coming when people won't be limited by geography or certain places or certain times. We'll be able to worship God in spirit and truth wherever we are. And he was speaking prophetically about the release of the Holy Spirit into every believer's life. And what Paul is saying by telling you that you're a building, he's saying to you, you are now God's dwelling place. You are now God's home address. You are now where heaven and earth meet. So as you walk about, wherever you go, you have this connection with God and you bring that connection to earth. You are the new temple. You are the new place where God dwells. Every follower of Jesus is God's home address. Amen? So just think about that for a moment. God lives in you. God dwells in you, just as he dwelt in the temple. Not restricted there to one place, but in the heart and soul of every believer, the Holy Spirit is carried. You are God's building. Let's bring these three things together. And why did I want to talk about them today? Well, I think whenever change and challenge comes, it gives us a fresh opportunity to evaluate who we are in God and evaluate where is God in the midst of change and challenge. 
And by looking at these, these different things, we've learned, haven't we, that God isn't removed or remote. I've brought together in this simple picture. This little triangle expresses where God is for every believer. God is co-laboring with you. God labors with us. He works with us. He's never distant or remote. He's always right there in the midst of your circumstances and situation, bringing about his kingdom through you and through what you're encountering. You're a field, a garden. So God is growing in you and growing through you. He's constantly cultivating his likeness in your heart, in your life. We really struggle with this sometimes because when we look at ourselves, all we see is faults, don't we? Yeah? So when you look at yourself, you see your faults, you see your shortcomings, you see the things you're not good at. Amen? If you're honest, every hand would be up, but you're not, so do I care. But we do. We, tend, we see the negative in ourselves. We struggle to see God's likeness in us because we've been we, we conditioned just to look for the shortcomings or the faults or the negatives. But Paul says, actually, you and I are this beautiful garden. You're not a finished garden. Because no garden is ever finished, is it? <laughs> no garden. No one says, I've finished my garden. That's it. No garden is ever finished. It's a constant place of growth and change and seasons and cultivation. And that's exactly what you are. So I want to encourage you today. Don't look at your faults. Don't look at your shortcomings. See yourself as a work in progress, a beautiful work in progress that the Father God is working on and cultivating to bring about the unique lights of his son in you. So with this beautiful, beautiful field, this beautiful garden, and then you're this building. God lives with us and in us. Jesus said, anyone who follows me, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, will come and make our home in them. I've said before, you're now this four-way house share. Okay, It's quite crowded in your life because there's you, there's the Father, there's the Son, Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. You're now a living community. A temple, God's home address. Wherever you are, you take God's home address with you. Is it when, I think when the president gets on a plane, doesn't that plane become Air Force One immediately? Is that right? Or gets in a helicopter or a ship? I think that immediately that, that becomes kind of Air Force One. That becomes, that's the name that's given to that plane because the president is now on board. It's not one plane called Air Force One. Any plane can be Air Force One if the president of America gets on board. It's like that with you. You are now... God's home address. You are the temple. Wherever you go, you take God's presence with you. So I want you to reflect on these three things. Because when change and challenge comes, when, when things that are normal get rocked or altered, sometimes we get displaced, we get, we get worried, we get concerned. I want to encourage you, that no matter what happens to our structures, God is right there with you in it. And not only is he with you in it, he's co-laboring with you He's transforming you, and he's dwelling in you. That's the truth of what Paul tells the Corinthian church and the truth that we can hear again today. So why don't we just stand together and spend a few moments in God's presence. If you're comfortable, why don't you close your eyes? And sometimes we say, put out your hands. All we're doing by putting our hands out is we're just expressing in our bodies openness. There's nothing magical about open hands, but it just expresses uh, openness. We want to receive and be open to God this morning. 
I don't know where you are on that spectrum. Maybe you're more technically minded, maybe you're more spiritually minded, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. It doesn't, in a sense, matter. You are a field and you are a building. Both fully expressed in you through the Holy Spirit. Just imagine your heart as a garden this morning. Just try and picture that in your mind's eye. Picture the Father coming into that garden. You know, what, would you, what would you want to tend? Maybe he wants to plant something in the garden of your heart today. Maybe he wants to prune something back. Maybe his areas are overgrown that need attention. Maybe there's a feature in the garden that needs changing. Maybe there's some landscaping needs to happen. Maybe there's been something present in your life that's been there a long time that God needs to gently remove and put something in its place. Just imagine walking in the garden of your heart with God. And the Father's taking you around and is explaining all the things that he wants to do. The vision he's got for the garden of your heart. It's a beautiful garden. It's you. It's how God made you. And God's got plans, continuing plans to, to cultivate and bring forth more fruit in your life. So just, just receive that truth today. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe just think about yourself now as God's dwelling place, God's address. Think about taking that address into the spaces, the places that you occupy, maybe the workplace, maybe a home life, maybe with neighbours or friends. What does it look like to take God's address with you? To recognise that you're a temple of the Spirit of God, the place where heaven and earth meet. The fullness of heaven flowing through you into the situations that you find yourself in this week. And what's it look like to open every door in the building, to let God in, to let the light in? Maybe there's rooms that have been closed off for a while that you want to let the light in. Come Holy Spirit. It's beautiful to see the Lord resting on you. And lastly, maybe just think about yourself co-laboring with God. Maybe you face something really difficult, a challenge in front of you. Just say, God, I want to recognize your presence in that with me. I want to recognize that you're right there with me, alongside me, working with me, me working with you, bringing about the fullness of your kingdom. God, give me more awareness of that. Help me not to fall into the same trap the Corinthians did, but not let my eyes go down. Not let my eyes be focused on people, but lift my eyes, God, to you in the situations that I face. I had a sense for the first group, and I feel it the same for you. I think God wants to open almost like a new conduit of connection. Maybe you found it hard to kind of feel God in different situations, in different places. Maybe... It's hard for you to kind of connect with God sometimes. And I felt the Lord said there's a promise of kind of like a new connection this morning for you. 
a new way opened up, spirit to spirit. So you'd find it really easy to connect with God in different places, in different ways. I think there's an opportunity God is opening up for us to do that as we, as we desire him more, as we desire to see him come in these different ways in our lives. There's an opportunity to form a new connection, a new intimacy. So Holy Spirit, we want all that you've got for us. All that you've got for us, Lord. I've never seen two groups of people so respond to the Spirit like you guys have today. So I'm really encouraged that God is, has really got something for us. So just keep asking him, keep hungering, keep desiring all that God's got. Come, Holy Spirit. We love your presence. We love your presence, Lord. And don't let the enemy say that you're the odd one out. Don't let the enemy say it doesn't work for me. Don't let the enemy say, you know, you're, you're the one that's different. You're the one that God doesn't love. You're the one that God doesn't bring his promises to. Cause that's, that's a lie. And we just rebuke that in Jesus' name. You are a co-laborer with God. You are God's garden. You are God's building, dwelling place. And we speak those truths over our lives today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.